0: Hello and welcome to Making Media Now, the Filmmaker's Collaborative Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Azevedo. On this episode, I'm joined by filmmaker and activist Owen Dubeck to discuss an organization called FarmLink and his documentary about FarmLink's origins and mission. During the largest food crisis in a century, a group of college students stepped up to help those facing hunger. Their small local effort, called Farmlink, inspired hope nationally and motivated more than 600 students to drop everything and help feed millions of families. Within months, the project scaled larger than anyone could have imagined, and the students found themselves on the front lines of fighting hunger and ending food waste on a national level. In addition to being a founding member of FarmLink, Owen Dubeck is also a documentary film director, specializing in telling stories that catalyze lasting social change. His films follow character driven storylines and often amplify the messages of young people leading disruptive movements. His short documentary about FarmLink is called Abundance. Here's the trailer
1: It's this amazing group of college students that are like changing the world. Frankly, with like no paid resources. Farmlink
0: has now delivered more than 3.5 million meals.
1: You're managing to do all of this among
0: finals. Oh
1: my God. This is something much bigger uh, than any of us realized. That was
0: a really scary moment, actually. We had two million pounds of onions. We didn't know if we were gonna be able to find a home. James and Farmlink called and I said, come get them, we've got two million pounds.
1: We grow enough food to feed
0: every person on this planet. And yet every year, one third of that food is going to waste while millions of families are growing hungry.
1: My mom worked in the fields, you know, they worked hard and then and then there wasn't that on the table. We would go like look through the dumpster and like, cause I was small, she'd be like, you go in there. This problem is big, it's massive. It feels scary and unsolvable and complex, but let's try to do something. They are creating like the next evolution of nonprofit. People don't think students are really capable of anything. Oh, oh, leave this to the adults. And I think what we really believed Was that in times of crisis, it's young people who step up to lead.
0: You can now view Abundance on the FarmLink website at farmlinkproject.org and on YouTube. Making Media Now is sponsored by Filmmakers Collaborative, a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting media makers from across the creative spectrum. From providing fiscal sponsorship to presenting an array of informative and educational programs, Filmmakers Collaborative supports creatives at every step in their journey. To learn more, visit filmmakerscollab.org. And now, on to my conversation with Owen Dubeck. Hello, Owen Dubeck. Welcome to Making Media Now. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Excited to be here.
0: So, Owen, you are the co-founder of an organization called Farmlink, and you are the director of a documentary uh, that focuses on the amazing work being done by Farmlink, and the documentary is called Abundance. So, I'm very pleased to be speaking with you about both Farmlink and the documentary. Well, let's start with the origin of FarmLink. As I said, you were one of the co founders of this organization. Tell our listeners about the mission of FarmLink and a little bit about how it came to be.
1: Yeah. So, our mission is to make the world's abundance of nutritious food accessible to everyone. And, you know, we didn't set out to make an organization, we didn't set out to make a documentary. We really were just a group of friends who had graduated from college or were sent home during the pandemic who were just looking for one small way that we could help our local community. We we were seeing mile long lines at food banks while billions of pounds of food was going to waste on farms across the country. And it was really just just rent one truck and drive a little bit of food to our local food bank. And um, and the reason that food was going to waste was? Restaurants had closed all across the country, so contracts had been cut with farmers. So it was like, you know, you thought you were sending a million pounds of potatoes to a distributor it was going to send it to all the restaurants in New York, and all of a sudden that contract's gone.
0: So you've got a surplus of food hanging out at farms. And you've got a a paucity of food, a dearth of food at food banks. And you and uh, your, your friends uh, come up with the idea to let's move this food from the farms to the food banks.
1: Yeah, exactly. It was like, how can we do this? You know, we're not we we're We weren't even old enough to rent a car, but you know, <laughs> we're old enough to rent a U-Haul, luckily. And yeah, we rented a U-Haul. We picked up some eggs and vegetables and drove. I think like twenty thousand pounds of food to Westside Food Bank in Santa Monica. That that was kind of how it all it all started. And you know, I was there that first day, just taking photos, thinking, hey, maybe we'll get on the local news, or maybe we can raise a couple hundred dollars and. Those photos ended up being the, some of the more crucial part of the documentary and then also used on news later on. Um, so, yeah, I don't I don't think any of us really realized the significance of that moment at the time, but it, it was so important. And this is around March of, of
0: 2020, when the world is going into lockdown due to, to uh, COVID-19.
1: Yeah, correct. It was like March 2020, first week of April when this all started. And how did you
0: pitch the idea to the first farmers that you were working with and to the the food banks so that A, the idea had credibility, that uh you and your um your coworkers and I I, I do want to mention their names, uh Aiden Riley and Ben Collier, and I'm sure I'm missing some that you're you, you are more than welcome to fill in. But as you yourself said, you and your friends have never had never done this before. So you weren't proven in the space. How did you prove yourselves and sort of prove the idea to both the farmers and the food banks with that first initiative?
1: Yeah. I mean, it was a huge struggle at first. We were calling farms and they were like, we've never heard of you before. This is a scam. You're trying to take my money. Like, we don't believe you. What? You're in college. I don't think you could actually move food. And, you know, as there's a scene in the film where we're crossing off all the names of the farms. And I think it was like 70 to 100 farms that we called and got all no's. we're, Were they giving a uniform reason as to why they were saying no? I mean, you'll get a, yeah, I mean, it was just the credibility thing. It was like so much of farming and agriculture is based on trust. They have these contracts for, you know, a a decade. They've been working with the same people for so many years. They know the trusted food banks. And to all of a sudden hear of a group of young people trying to enter this space, I think there was some resistance. And I think there was some, um, they could tell we didn't know what we were doing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think the real shift there was we had an open mind to learn. Mm -hmm. And if a farmer was willing to hop on the phone with us for two hours and explain how we could do this more efficiently, we were willing to listen someone coming to the conclusion that you don't know what you're doing, quote
0: unquote, really just means that you're not speaking in the vocabulary they're used to hearing. You're not using the language they're used to hearing. Therefore, you know, you sound new and different and untested.
1: <laughs> right. What is a, what is a pallet, you know, what is the, you know, why, in what situations do you need a forklift versus, you know, something else? It's like, there were so many, even the units of measurement of food. It's like we had we had so much to learn so quickly. And what was that first
0: shipment? What did that mostly consist of that that went from that first farm to the first food bank?
1: Yeah, the the first major shipment that I think is representative of what we do now is the Shea Myers shipment. So. He had two million pounds of onions that he had nothing to do with, um, that that had nowhere to go. And he was one of those people who was willing to talk to us. We still get on the phone with him every month and talk through different ideas and directions. Um, And he was willing to talk us through how we could help coordinate this delivery. And we were able to move, I think, like three truckloads of those onions, so around 120,000 pounds of food to food banks across California and Nevada. His farm is Oahi produce in uh, Idaho.
0: And the food banks that you were delivering the food to, these were food banks that, you know, pre COVID um re- relied on philanthropy and and donations and so forth and i would imagine that the influx of people coming to the food banks pre covid for the food bank was relatively predictable that you know month to month they were going to see the same volume covid hits and tell me a little bit about how that changed the day-to-day operational structure of a food bank
1: You know, I interviewed so many people for FarmLink in general and for the documentary that, you know, a lot of these interviews didn't get included in the documentary, but Mm -hmm. I talked to so many people who said, hey, I have never struggled in this way before. This is my first time going to a food bank and it's a hard pill to swallow to accept that I need help. But you know, that's not a single person in that situation. That person's representative of the situation of millions of people across the country. And that's why we saw those visuals of mile-long lines. And um, yeah, for the food banks, this was tough. It was like they had no idea who was showing up that day. And I think something that didn't receive a lot of media attention that we saw was there was like a 70% drop in volunteering because mm, a lot of the yeah. people volunteering, volunteering are older folks who, you know, have the time to and, you know, people were scared of COVID. It was a real health hazard to Volunteering, so not only are you short-staffed, but you also don't have that much food, and you have the biggest influx of people you've ever seen. The the food banking system was not prepared for a crisis. What type of hurdles did you did
0: did you have to get over in establishing credibility with the food banks? You know, I've often wondered that with the enormous amounts of wasted food in -hmm. this country, you know why restaurants don't, say restaurants in particular, don't go right to food banks, you know, on a on a rotating basis. And I don't know if this is necessarily true, but I had heard or read that there was liability issues. So, in other words, if, you know, a piece of spoiled food somehow makes it into the rotation in a food bank, that positions the food bank for potential trouble. Did you run into any of those types of, of objections and, you know, how did you establish the viability
1: of your idea? I know the laws vary state to state and I sure. think the health safety measures applies a lot to restaurant food and that's a real area for concern and mm-hmm. you know, meats can be tough because they expire so quickly but the truth is we're moving perfectly good nutritious food that's almost indistinguishable from yeah. what you would find in a grocery store a lot of times and food banks wanted to accept that with open arms. So for some smaller food banks that often have to purchase the food that they're, they're getting, um, to receive a free donation of a truckload of food was, you know, a huge gift. They, they, they love that. They wanted to work with us more. Um, I think consistency and timing, like knowing when the truck is going to arrive is a huge challenge and making sure that is coordinated well helped with establishing trust. Um, but, yeah, I'm not sure if that fully answers your question, but no, it it certainly goes a long way toward that. So, in you
0: know, a couple of months after you guys initiated your first uh, delivery, there's a big break in the form of an ABC nightly news report that takes place in May of 2020. How did that news report come to be? How'd they find out about you? And and tell me about the fallout from that type of national exposure.
1: You know, we got an email from a producer at ABC World News. I, I really don't know how it came to be. All I know is I was coming back from Idaho where I was just filming with a potato farmer that we were doing um, a delivery with. And they were like, we need all the footage. We're going on ABC World News tonight, tonight." and they, they need all that footage. So I plugged my laptop into an outlet on the outside of a Dairy Queen, like on the side of the highway. And just stood there with my laptop and started uploading with like a hotspot, all the photos and videos of the millions of pounds of potatoes we had just seen on that farm. And then we all recorded a little selfie video that's like, hi, I'm, I'm James and I'm receiving this potato delivery. I'm Jordan. I'm in Pennsylvania coordinating, um, you know, a lettuce delivery. And that, I mean, that just changed everything. It was the reason you see 400 kids on a Zoom screen is because they were watching the news that night and reached out. I've I've never seen that level of support before. We've been featured on national news since, and you'll get a few nice emails and messages and things like that, but this was like thousands of donations within a span of 10, 20 minutes. It was, our email inbox had like 1,500 unread emails of people wanting to help It it clearly struck a chord that that I've never seen
0: before. You know what I love about that story is it it turns on its head so many uh, presumptions uh, around, first of all, young people aren't clued into the news not true in this case young people don't watch things like you know the nightly the national nightly news report certainly at least in may of 2020 they were enough of them and this notion that well young people are just complacent and they want to just stay at home and play xbox that that comes out again and again and again uh through your film so you mentioned that you were in idaho you were shooting footage at what point uh, after FarmLink started to get up and running, were you as a filmmaker and an established filmmaker? Were you thinking about I want to capture and maybe one day start to tell this story?
1: Yeah. So at the at the point that I was in Idaho, that was still hey, I just want to help this project however I can. Mm-hmm. I want to help this grow. I think we can raise donations. It was after ABC World News Tonight. And then you know the New York Times quickly feature came the like Today's Show like all these different um, all these different news features that raised a ton of support where this is a project that could last for for a long time. Um, it was at that point that people started dropping out of college and people started quitting their jobs and their internships. It's like you know people applied for a year to get an internship they'd been dying to work at and then they quit. And they're like, I want to work 80 hours a week on Farmlink. And as a doc filmmaker, I was like, there's something really special here that goes beyond just, um, just volunteering. Right. It, goes, it goes deep into how we respond when the rules of the world change, how we act when we see glimpses of hope, and what young people's role in the world is going forward. So that was fascinating to me.
0: Were you able to discern, not to speak in generalities, but maybe some similarities around what was really uh, inspiring and empowering uh, the other young people, you know, by by the hundreds that were that were getting involved? What was it that they saw in the mission of FarmLink and their ability to contribute to it that mobilized them in such large
1: numbers? Yeah, I, I think there are two things to this. the The first or maybe three. The first is a sense of community, that you're sitting alone in your childhood bedroom. You don't want to be hanging out with your parents all day. You thought you were going to be at college. Like You get to hop on Zoom and meet all these people from across the country who are aligned in a common purpose. Um, I think that was huge. And then Just the feeling of gratitude when someone shoots you a call and they're like, we got the truckload of food. Here are some photos of my family having dinner with it tonight. Mm -hmm. And instead of being this powerless college student, you're now a person who with a single phone call was able to bring a lot of food to people. And I think that was... That was massive.
0: You're getting the sense that something special is happening here, and then your documentary filmmaker brain starts thinking in terms of storytelling. Were you thinking of the storytelling as a means of uh, another vehicle to get this story out, or did it did it feel more like really just a film project?
1: Yeah, I think whenever I start a new documentary, I think about what what is the impact side of this. What can we actually drive change with this film? And I've been super lucky. I have amazing mentors, uh, Chris Temple and Zach Ingrassi from a nonprofit production company called Optimist. They've raised over ninety million dollars for Syrian refugees, people living in poverty through their films. And how, did,
0: how did they come into in, in, into your life? How did you come into their
1: life, and what uh, attracted you to their work? I was a sophomore in college, didn't know what I wanted to do. I went to a talk at my school where they screened their new film about living in a Syrian refugee camp in Jordan. And, you know, they had also studied economics at my college and then took a different path to um, pursue filmmaking. And I was like, that is exactly what I want to do with my life. And I went out and filmed, um, I got a grant from my college to film a short documentary on trash pollution in Indonesia, mm-hmm. used that as a portfolio piece. They hired me as an intern. They hired me as a, you know, as a job and then mentored me. I got to see a feature film get made from start to finish the whole impact campaign through it. And then and now I get to direct alongside them on some projects. Um, So that was crucial with understanding how you can really make a difference. And I knew with this story, it's like, hey, there are 12,000 people here who have or something like that who have donated to Farmlink who, you know, don't know the full story, or could be further inspired to do more. There are laws here that can change, like, there are kids out there who don't think that a 16 year old can make a difference, or they shouldn't start a initiative for their community because it won't work. But here's a story where it might, you know, here's a story that inspires them that their their idea might work. So,
0: yeah. So when you're approaching a subject such as this, and you're taking, you know, you're taking a subject that can get a little wonky in terms of supply chains and percentages of food that goes to waste, et cetera. You're thinking yeah. as as a filmmaker that also wants to convey human stories. And I think your documentary, which of course is called Abundance, and go to the FarmLink website. There's a there's a uh, link immediately to the film, and you can also find it on YouTube. And I encourage everybody listening to this podcast to go and do that when you're thinking of this as a filmmaker you're thinking in terms of the stories you want to tell you're thinking in terms of the visuals that you want to present how do you begin to sort all of that through so that it's hitting on an emotional level but it's also making sense on an intellectual or logistical level
1: yeah it's it's tough you know it could be an hour and a half of explaining how the supply chain works and what (laughs) problems food bank leaders face and farmers face and um I think it, it took a while to go from this is a feature doc to this is probably better as a short doc. Right. Uh, and yeah, times in at just over 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And that ended up being a perfect format. But once we got to that, I was like, how do I make this as simple as possible? What What is the most simple arc here? And the arc is really no hope to hope. Yeah, It is the lowest point of my life, of everyone in this community's lives, community ripped apart from you and then how do we document the progress towards building something tangible that has not only all these college students inspired and hopeful and fulfilled but also has the potential to make a difference Um, and along that way you kind of find bits and pieces to fit in the necessary information to know what's going on but it's a big criticism of documentaries like a lot of them don't have that much information in them. Like you're sure. not getting a detailed analysis of the system or, you know, anything around that. Like it's a short documentary. It's really it's really about conveying the emotion, making people feel a certain way. And then they can, you know, find that we'll provide resources to learn more afterwards.
0: Well, one thing I found really interesting when I was, when I was, uh, reading up about you on your website, the description about the, your work is talks about how you specialize in telling stories that drive tangible change. And it felt to me like the word tangible was really significant, uh, in that sentence because it, it feels like when I was looking at the other films that you had made also, you're presenting a problem and you're presenting if not final solutions to to that problem uh, you know ultimate solutions at least as as the description says tangible steps that can be taken to alleviate them because so many problems and hunger being one of them feels so insurmountable and i would imagine it's very easy for you know people in their early 20s to say well you know what if these huge nonprofit organizations for the last 50 years, haven't been able to tackle this problem. What are we going to be able to do? Why is tangible change so important to your approach as a documentary filmmaker?
1: I I think one of the biggest problems we face right now with any issue with climate change, with food insecurity, with criminal justice system is that it's very easy for people to be like, there's nothing I can do. And that a single individual can't make a difference and it, it pains me to finish a documentary that doesn't have any kind of call to action, whether it's in the film or it comes afterwards, it's like, that is the moment to give people a pathway of what to do. And you've just become an expert on this subject as a filmmaker, you can direct people in a way where, where they can actually make a difference. So I think that that is a big part of it. And also that like, you know, we've at Optimist and with, some other initiatives I've worked with, we've developed a system to actually change laws or inspire people to donate. And we have a whole like live events tour. We just did. We've done 50 in-person events to, um, you know, inspire people to take action and all that's measurable. And we, you know, we have all the stats around how many people attended, what percentage of people donated, what percentage of people connected us to their companies. And like, this is, you know, there's a real way to measure the success here and measure what impact how it directly translates to the work. If that makes sense, absolutely
0: does make sense. Uh, so I'm curious, you know, when I was looking at your work, also, uh, you're also a very talented photographer. So you've you've got a visual eye, just as a storyteller, regardless of the story you're that you're telling. Do the visuals drive? The type of story that you want to tell, or does the subject matter of the story dictate the visuals you want to capture?
1: I, I really appreciate the kind words. Um, <laughs> I mean, photography is where I got started. It was just something I did for fun in high school and college. Um, if you talk to my mom, she'll say she's the OG photographer who is, okay. you know, always had well, the. Where's her website? On trips, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, she was definitely an inspiration behind that. Um, but I think the photography allowed me to um, establish credibility as a filmmaker faster than I otherwise would have sure. because you make your work look nice, even if you have no idea what you're doing from a storytelling <laughs> perspective, which was the case when I was 20 years old. Um, but really what drives everything is who is the who is the participant, the, the subject of the you know, at the front of the story, what is their character transformation and how compelling are the moments that we can document? Um, it's awesome to get that wide shot of Shay sitting in the warehouse of a million onions. Like my eyes lit up once I took the lens cap off. That's an exciting moment. Um, but what drives the story I think is the, um, the, the people we're filming.
0: Yeah and just one thing I have to say uh to folks who have not um screened uh, abundance yet is it just it, it it's a beautiful looking film um you know not to not to diss PSAs or anything like that but this this isn't this isn't just like you know uh, local access news going out and doing a story about uh, uh, uh about a situation that that exists. The the I would say the thoughtfulness of the visuals, there's humor involved, you're using visuals to communicate pretty complex logistics. Uh and I you know I think you really hit the nail on the head with that.
1: I appreciate it. And it's like, it's so hard as a filmmaker, you would go back and do so many things differently. It's like, oh, man, that shot that I filmed when I was 21. Like, I wish I could have that back, but you're 22. But um, I appreciate that it, it comes across that way. And um, yeah, we did a lot afterwards also to go back and make sure the visual style connected in a way we were we were proud of. So
0: Abundance what was the shooting schedule for Abundance when h- how far into the now 3 year plus history of Foodlink does Abundance the film take us
1: Yeah so the the film starts in April 2020 and it carries through kind of like end beginning of 2022 okay. I would say is um is the timeline there and it was really um it was really like end of 2021 that we like ramped up production and we're like here are like the eight shoots we need to finish this with this vision in mind and all the filming before that was kind of just like oh my god this crazy thing is happening we need to you know we need to go document this there are 20 million pounds of watermelons and 50 million pounds of bananas like let's go run this way run that way and then um at the later stages it was like no we need focus and intention and yeah we need to yeah, pick up what we need.
0: And how did you uh, how did you come up with your strategy? Once you you had your documentary, the documentary was in a place that everybody was feeling good about it, and now it's
1: time to get it out into the world. How did you come up with that strategy? I'm very fortunate that I had Risa Fox, Julia DeSantis support from working on the impact campaign support from a company called iron light labs that does helps with impact campaigns, support from optimist. And we all put our heads together and we're like, from what we've learned, what are the most impactful screenings we can do? And let, let's just do one of every type of screening. So let's okay. do, let's do a screening for a corporate partner. Let's do a community screening where everyone can bring their friends and family universities. Let's do one in a backyard of a donor let's um you know screen at an elementary school and let's let's see what comes out of it let's measure it and whatever works the best let's let's scale that so last spring or winter into the spring we did one of each screening and then end of spring summer fall ramped it up where we were doing like three four events a week and really um working up to what what works the best and Yeah, we knew from the start, this is not a Netflix film. It's not an HBO film. It's not going to get 200 million views like guaranteed from a streamer. It's this private distribution strategy that's going to be most impactful. And then the the public release is more of a... uh, more of a moonshot like if people out here listening to this and other community members want to share it far and wide and show it to their elementary school and middle school for the next 10 years like that's awesome but um that was less of a strategy
0: and you mentioned corporate partners screening for corporate partners you have some very uh uh impressive uh, heavy hitters uh, along the lines of corporate partners from chipotle to one of my favorites metallica yeah <laughs> stepping up um it talk about me. how those relationships were, were were cultivated and how they continue to be cultivated as the mission of farm League continues
1: yeah i i forget what the specific origin stories of those relationships were but it really ties to all these news features where just millions of people were seeing that this group of kids were driving trucks and delivering food and yeah. scaling. So fa- it was growing so fast that it was a story. A lot of people wanted to get behind Chipotle. We owe so much of this success to Chipotle, like Chipotle very early on introduced us to their roundup program where you could round up your burrito for 40 cents to the nearest dollar. And it donated to farm Link. and that helped, okay. that helped fund the movement of, tens of millions of pounds of food like almost veering on 100 million pounds of food from the roundup programs that chipotle's done and then metallica was like hey you know we are doing a bunch of concerts we love what you're doing can we provide a portion of the proceeds from each ticket to the farmland project we were like that's that's incredible that's like amazing and we got to go to a metallica show and it's it's just been such like a fun I mean, what an amazing thing to have happened. And Talk about like, a win-win-win. I know, yeah, it just keeps coming. So yeah.
0: when so no. your first two years alone, or farm, FarmLink's first two years alone, there were 600 FarmLink students, mm-hmm. 4,000 volunteers from 100 campuses, moving more than 100 million pounds of food from farms yeah. to food banks. And one thing I find really interesting on, on the FarmLink website you all talk about your ultimate objective is that your website can go
1: away and and farm link can go away totally we want to put ourselves out of business so you know the metric that we share down the road should not be hey we're moving more and more food it should honestly be we're moving less and less food because we're we're helping you know solve this crisis and al- alleviate hunger like fewer people should should need this so Yeah, In a post-pandemic
0: world, world, how are you ensuring that your story, the story you tell to farms and the story that you tell to food banks, remains as compelling as it was during the
1: pandemic? I mean, there was a report released by the USDA uh, this week that there was a sharp spike in food insecurity in 2022. It's actually at a higher level than it was during the pandemic. So this this problem is urgent as ever. And, you know, it is a challenge to pivot from the most exciting story imaginable of all these students working to now it's this um, organization that's positioned to actually make systemic change. I would say that's, that's kind of the shift there. It's like scrappy students to a mix of students and industry professionals who are seriously thinking about how, yeah, how we can drive systemic change.
0: And, and how about for yourself, in, in in addition to being the director of Abundance, you're also the creative director at Farmlink. Um, are you still thinking in terms of being a documentary filmmaker and
1: other subjects that you want to bring similar illumination to? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting balance because I never meant to be, you know... Even working for a company, you know, <laughs> sounded like a, a daunting thing. I was like, no, I'm an independent filmmaker. I love being in the field and making these films. Um, the the answer is I'm I'm balancing, I'm balancing both in in some way. So it's exciting to be able to tell these stories. And um, I think in the future I'll be directing more of the vision behind it and deploying a team to get out there and tell the story of. 20 million apples going to waste that inspires our donors, it, like us rescuing that. Like, I'll be more the creative lead behind that. And then I'm going to continue to make documentaries on subjects I care about. Um, so as we are
0: in the uh, Thanksgiving season, approaching Thanksgiving of, t- of 2023, um, obviously people can go to your website to watch Abundance and they go to YouTube to watch Abundance, but I know you're also going to continue with the in-person screenings. What's the thinking about how the the film uh, can be shared and received in communities and how the mission and the message of FarmLink is going to be rolled out, say, through the winter and into 2024?
1: We would, you know, we want to use the film as a tool leading up to the Thanksgiving season to inspire people to take action. In, in years past, we've delivered 100 or not 100 we've delivered 1 million meals worth of food to families during Thanksgiving right. so you know there was a someone posted on Facebook yesterday they got their entire family and friends together in their living room like 30 of them watching the film and then had a discussion afterwards about what can we do in our community and that's just exactly what we want to be happening over Thanksgiving during the holidays and if you feel compelled to become a monthly donor for FarmLink for $10 moving 200 pounds of food a month or whatever like that is awesome if you want to support us amazing but if you if the film inspires you to like over the holidays just volunteer at your local food bank that is as much of a win for us as anything.
0: And the film is uh, catching the eye of uh, some notables, including a guy named Tony Robbins, who some yeah. people might have heard of. Yeah, he, he I think it was this week. Maybe it was last week. He listed it on his one of his top things to check out and and watch this week.
1: I feel so lucky and Privilege to work with Tony. He said it was his favorite current documentary, and he has a very emotional personal story around food insecurity. Um, So we share this determination to tackle this crisis.
0: Yes, I, I remember food insecurity being
1: a real issue in his early life. Yeah. And he, you know, you can go and watch the talks that he gives. He tells it in a much more compelling way than I would. He's the, the king of that. But um, yeah, we're really lucky to to have his support and he has a huge community he can share it with. So. Most definitely. You tell
0: it in a most con- compelling and convincing way mm-hmm. also. The organization is Farmlink. The film is Abundance. And I have been speaking uh, with the film's director, Owen Dubeck. Thank you for this film. And thank you for your time, Owen.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And for anyone listening to this who wants to reach out and get involved, you can personally email me or comment on the video. Um, We're happy to chat. Most definitely.
0: Well, I hope you have a great Thanksgiving and a great holiday season and continued great luck with FarmLink and the future stories that you're going to be uh, telling. I look forward to seeing them. Thank you so much. And thank you for sharing our story.